As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Big Jed, Cole Castile, and testicular fortitude. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I am well in every sense of the word. I thank the good Lord. Um, you know, just eagerly anticipating some burnouts, Luke, and you know we're going to have a discussion on that whether whether um, everyone's getting to do that or not, or who's getting to do it and who isn't. But um, you know, really looking forward to some potential racing this coming weekend here in Alabama. Hope you're well. Absolutely, doing uh, as well as possible uh, given the given the circumstances and. Um, yeah, like I'm happy for you if you're going to get to, to burn rubber soon. It doesn't appear that that's on the table here, so <laughs> which is kind of the the basis of, of today's discussion because if you can just take, uh, you know, personal effects and um, what some of our, our friends are going through aside and just look at all of this entire situation really since day one, obviously this pandemic, if you can just look at it from a helicopter view, and not be emotionally attached to it, it's fascinating. And I would say that the next month to, who knows, three months, six months, is just going to be more fascinating, <laughs> both <laughs> inside our sport and obviously beyond it. Um, 
so that's where we start. Like, I feel like we're recording this on in uh, early the week of this. This will hit April 29th. So it felt, Jed, to me like all last week, everything was gaining traction for optimism as it as it pertains to racing. Right. You see sure. a few racetracks here and there kind of smattering is already open, having events of some form. Right. Typically uh, limited uh, entries, sometimes um, not publicized, you know, just a, a word of mouth thing like, hey, the track's going to open up. Let's all get here. And but more and more saw the quote unquote opening of America slated for. May 1st and began to see flyers and, and announcements and there's going to be races here, there's going to be races there. Um, and then that's been met, I think, more so. And there's still some of that going on, but that's been met within the last mm, three, four days with the variety of, of setbacks. Like you see these races popping up and then at the same time you see specifically bigger events being continued to be postponed, continued to be canceled. Um, and so much various legislation from state to state. We'll get into all of it, but overall, like, what's your take? Where where are you at right now? Oh, Luke, I, you know, I'm struggling with it because it it doesn't seem to be a numbers thing to me anymore. It seems to just be a basic philosophy of government, state government, you know, at whatever sources they're leaning on to to say this is what we need to do, but no one's really seemingly discussing, yeah, our, our numbers are up 8%, down 8%, so we're gonna take this approach. It's it's either go or no, and it just seems to be a, a basic philosophy of, of the people that's making those decisions more so than any data to back it up. And I'm sure they have plenty of data to back up how they feel. They're just, don't seem to be sharing it very much. But here in our state, the numbers are improving. Um, actually, Jefferson County, which is the county I live in, it's our largest county, and it had by far the most cases. Uh, the cases have slowed down to where Mobile County, which is in the extreme southern part of our state, has surpassed Jefferson County. So, you know, while that sounds really good for my county and thinking that we're going to get back to some normalcy, I'm sure our governor thinks, well, it's just shifted so now I'm not real sure what to do she had put our uh, mandate to uh, stay-at-home mandate to April 30th and all indications were last week when she spoke that May the 1st it's going to turn loose and everything's going to be back to normal but there are some discussions now among people thinking that she could possibly extend that because the news has come out about Mobile County um, again surpassing the numbers in Jefferson County so I think a lot of states are dealing with issues just like that, while Jefferson County is where the state's economy uh, gets its biggest boost from, as a third of the people in our state live in this county. So I'm sure she's wanting to get back to some normalcy and get Jefferson County rolling again. However, the second largest county in the state, and now has the largest amount of numbers, uh, they're 300 miles apart or 200 miles apart, 250 maybe. So I think a lot of states are dealing with issues just like that. They they really need their biggest boost, their biggest economy boost moving. However, there's parts of their state that are still struggling and 
I'm not sure you can just turn parts of the state loose. So I think that's it's all or nothing, and that's what most states are dealing with, and it's, it's definitely happening here. So um, I think we're going to know here in a day or so if our May the 1st target is still on and if we get to race. Everyone's very optimistic and thinks we will, but again, this is unfortunately for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, this thing's way bigger than racing, and um, that's the least of their concerns. So um, we'll see. We'll see how she handles this in a day or so. First off, obviously you're right, right? This is far bigger than racing. But I do think, A, for our audience, racing obviously matters. B, I do feel like the business, the industry that surrounds motorsports is in a lot of ways a microcosm for the economy, the economy in general, right? And so what we're experiencing is, is not unique to, to motorsports. I don't want to just, I, I, we try to, to, to veer away from going down a, a political path, but I do want to uh, tug a little bit on, on a string of what you just mentioned. We're not, we, we don't, it does not seem that we are privy to the, the, the data, right? I mean, there's a lot of numbers out there, but I have a difficult time making sense of much of any of them. And so I don't know exactly where the data comes from necessarily, but what's fascinating about it is I really feel like the, the two opposing sides of this could take the exact same data and, and use it as a way to validate their argument, like it, to, to confirm their own bias, yes. you know, which is just amazing, right? <laughs> like I don't, I, I don't know what any of that means. So what we're obviously up against now is... Um, this is all in the hands of independent states, individual states, right, as to how they're going to handle this within their states. And it seems apparent at this point that the discrepancy from state to state is going to be pretty considerable. It just as an example, it sounds like where you're at, Alabama, is, is a little bit up in the air right now. Um, our governor here in Illinois has extended our stay-at-home order through the end of May, which is one of the most uh, aggressive is the wrong word, one of the most conservative mandates that I'm aware of. I believe Virginia is extended through June 10th. It's the only one at this point that I think is, has set a date further in the future than, than our state in Illinois. Contrast that with, say, uh, like Georgia seems like obviously the, the most aggressive state, like seems hell-bent on opening May 1st and, and are already progressively opening, right? Now, what does progressively opening look like? And in and how does that impact racing? I think that's yet to be determined as well. But I'm, I think, again, helicopter view, just fascinated by the idea that I feel like in basically every state, there's gonna be a significant amount of conflict. Like our country seems to be fairly divided on this issue and it's not divided by state lines and yet the legislation is absolutely by state lines. Case in point, there are going to be people here in my area, I know there are people in my area, and racers in my area that say, hey, there's no racetracks in Illinois that can open up. Again, just using racing as a microcosm. And my buddy in South Carolina or Georgia or wherever, like they're getting raced, why can't I race? And that's not just limited to racing, right? That's people doing things that they enjoy, whether it's work or, uh, you know, a hobby or just doing things that they love that uh, are going to be able to get back to that. And in some states will not. 
on the flip side of that, I am sure they're not as in front of me because I feel like the majority of say our, our racing market thinks the way that I, I just explained. But I am sure, equally sure, that there are uh, there is a significant percentage of the population in, again, I'll just continue to use Georgia as an example, that is not comfortable with the idea that Georgia is reopening the economy. You know, it feels unsafe. So <laughs> you've got unrest seemingly in every state in the union, and yet it's all divided by state lines. Like it's just, I don't know that there is a better way to go about this, but it's just bizarre and, and fascinating. Yeah, it is, and, and it's so across the board. Right. Just like in your state, I, I imagine, I don't know the numbers for Illinois, but I imagine the, the Southern Illinois, where you are, Luke, is the impact is, uh, while it's serious, I'm sure that it's minimal, but you've I got mean, Chicago in your state. Right. The legislation here is all geared towards Chicago, right, which yes. is six hours north of me. Exactly. But. Yeah, so having Chicago in your state probably affects a lot of the things that are happening for you guys right now. And, um, you know, and, and it's the same situation we've got here. So um, I know they need Chicago up and running. That state definitely needs Chicago up and running. Sure. But you just can't because of the the risk when you turn a city like that loose. Uh, it could uh, be a major setback quickly. So from a, a racing standpoint, I think the only thing that we can say with any consistency is that everything is subject to change. Like there's just a ton of fluidity, right? Yeah. Um, mentioned seemingly some, some traction gaining for optimism in the last week or so. Um, and there are a handful of events popping up, uh, more than a handful, really. You know I mean? But a handful of even bigger events that say, hey, we're going to go on as scheduled coming up. Um, one case in point, uh, the Windmill Nationals, Ardmore, Oklahoma, still on schedule for this weekend. Um, the Disco Dean's Little Banger, which was set to happen at Killcare, they announced this morning, we're recording this on Monday night, um, that that event will take place, but the venue will be moved. Um, Ohio was, I guess, in a similar situation to what you described in Alabama, where everything was a little bit unsure as to where this was going to go. And they are progressively opening on May 1st, but uh, motorsports, racing venues, and basically my understanding is entertainment in general is still deemed non-essential. So Killcare is not able to host that event. Disco came on and said, we're still going to have the race. We are moving it to a facility to be named probably long before you hear this podcast in the state of Indiana. Um, so the plan is still to move forward there, but I would say even at this point that that is not a certainty, right? Um, yeah. And as things were beginning to get some traction, we felt like, okay, there's hope that we're going to be racing again relatively soon in some form. Um, again, like it kind of turned the other direction in that you heard the announcement from NHRA. So um, all the Lucas Oil Divisional events that were scheduled for the month of May have been postponed. So I know that that included Atlanta, included Joliet, I believe it was Reading, and one of the Division Four races, I think, in San Antonio. All of those pushed back to a date to be named later, um, the, uh, w which will get more into the, the Great American Guaranteed Million postponed to October. More on that later. Um, so it was just like you get this sense of optimism, and there is, there's, there's definitely pockets of competition opening up and, and, and reason for optimism. But on a broader scale, it's just more of eh, we're, not yet, not yet, not yet. Oh, yeah, there, there's been 
There was quite a few, uh, by God, were opening um, <laughs> statements. But, uh, you know, obviously when government's involved, you, you're not going to win that battle. So uh, better sense has prevailed in a lot of cases. But, um, you know, that the uncertainty is what just has everybody. I mean, if you told racers, look, it's not going to happen May the 1st, but, you know, May the May the 22nd, we're turning this loose. And it's, if the government said that, local government, state government, whatever said, we're turning it loose, I think while disappointed, they'd still feel better. But it's the, the uncertainty of it all that no one knows and you, you're – you're thinking because it's happened, you're thinking you might even get to the track and be shut down that it's just got everybody on edge and, and bothered. But, uh, you know, I, I still feel like we're trending in the right direction. At least the discussions are that we're going to get to get back to some normalcy. And, you know, just like we talked about off air, like Georgia, that, that States, you know, you can go in a restaurant and sit down, go in a movie theater, um, those are the kind of things that are encouraging. If, if, if that's happening, I think what we consider normal as racers is very soon to follow. Yeah, I think that those are all positive signs, assuming, of course, that there's not an, an outbreak. You know, I mean, if, if yeah. this whole conversation changes, if three weeks from now there's an outbreak in Atlanta, I don't know how likely that is. I don't know how possible that is, but that's certainly at this point feels like it could be on the table, right? And that obviously changes yeah. everything. I think I'm most interested in knowing how 80, 80, 85 degree plus temperatures impact it, you know, because that's when we're going to get back to uh, at least uh, some baby steps towards normal. And, you know, early on the talk was just as soon as some warm weather gets here, it'll, it'll kill this thing and we'll be just fine. So I'm interested to see as we get back to that, if the, the warm temperatures and I don't know that they'll ever know that that was a you know, direct <laughs> impact, but I, I'm so I, confused. Yeah. No, I, would, I, I, mean, I would think it's got to help. At some point it was, this thing can't grow in, or it can't uh, be spread as easily in warm weather. And then that's not the case. And uh, you know, you need to wear a mask unless you, you don't want to wear a mask and that's not that big a deal. You know, I, mean, I have no idea what the truth <laughs> is, you know, and I, and I just feel like if anybody feels like they do, they're almost fooling themselves. Like there's just been, there's so much contradictory information. I have no idea. To your point, um, some of the by God statements, none more charismatic than our friend Bill Bader Jr., right? <laughs> no, I mean, it was awesome. He told us all what we wanted to hear. And he had the, everybody fired up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the entire racing community is behind him. And of course, predictably, like he says, by God, we're going to open. And as you would imagine, anyone with the, the clout and the respect in the industry that he has, seemingly dozens of tracks follow that lead. Hell yeah, we're going to open too, right? <laughs> and to your point, it's a, a week later, you know, from the desk of Bill Bader, uh, you can read between the tea leaves a little bit. Uh, I, whatever the case was, like he, is, he essentially walked back that's those statements without necessarily walking back those statements, right? The idea being, yes, they're going to open as soon as possible, but there is no no timeline, no deadline, everything is very much up in the air, right? Yeah, um, and I, you know, try, again, like you said, try to read between the lines a little bit. I, what I feel like I'm seeing is, look, we're not, we're not going to get caught off guard that says you can open and, and we're not ready. Um, 
we're we're working very hard and making sure that we're putting all the steps in place to give our government the confidence that we while are ready to operate we're still you know we still have everyone's safety in our best interest so you know i think i think bill is um again as you said walk back his statement in a little bit but i still i think he's just trying to uh, make sure that he's being as responsible as he's supposed to be but yet pushing the issue to say we're ready let us open and and i think that'll probably lend itself to a quicker start i hope i can guarantee you there is no one working harder behind the scenes than bill bader jr and i would argue my my sense is that there's no one more well connected like i don't think there's any way there i don't think it's feasible knowing bill bader jr and, and the respect that i have for him i don't think there's any way that he went live on facebook and said we're not asking for permission we're opening without the blessing of local authorities because i'm sure that they work together pretty regularly now it was obvious if you watched that video that he was at odds with the governor of ohio right sure and ultimately that that may be where this comes from but if you kind of read through the line read between the lines of his statements like there's a lot more involved in the opening of summit motorsports park or the the releasing of that schedule than just the staff and the racers at summit motorsports park right you've got essentially by releasing that schedule he is releasing the schedule of several racing series right that 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 are probably not ready to release their schedule yet. Like there's just a lot that goes into that. And I don't know in watching, I was really torn in watching um, Billy's Facebook presentation because on one hand, obviously like it's, it's what to some extent we all want to hear like, hell yeah, let's, let's, let's go, let's, let's, let's go racing. Um, and, and could follow his, his valid points there. The other side of it was I could, see the perspective where it felt like he came across as a as a businessman who was in trouble like not that that's probably overstating it but very very concerned and needing to get things open he came across at points as almost desperate and that worries me because like okay here's a guy that i think the world of right that that has the this helicopter view and this perspective and it but when that comes out you think man could that cloud your judgment here and 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 push towards maybe rushing into something that we're not quite ready for i don't know i don't know the answer but i could see that perspective as well yeah no doubt about it uh, you know he's, he's much like many 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 business owners across america that have fought very hard to to build what they built and that was very successful and now it's you know threatening to to shut people down race tracks and you know drywall contractors and everybody else so i think he uh i think he definitely represents a a very large group of business owners that's that's ready to get back after it no question um all right so we mentioned uh, passly the the great american guaranteed million which I think that the announcement that that race would not happen Memorial Day weekend, while disheartening, was not unexpected, right? Like it would be difficult to envision that coming together that soon. Um, and they actually laid out a really detailed plan 
going forward. The, the Great American Guaranteed Million will still slated to happen at Memphis International Raceway uh, instead of Memorial Day weekend. That's now been pushed back to the week of October 6th through the 11th. Uh, Jed, I think that they shared some more details on that event. Yeah, no doubt. Um, they, they've laid out a new payment plan. Um, Luke, they, uh, they had a good payment plan. It was really, really good and, and worked well for the racers, but they've put in place now 500 down, 500 per month to you, until you get to um, 500 from fulfilling your entry obligation and they'd pay that 500 at the gate. Um, and when they announced the new date, really good thing happening so anytime you change the date of an event especially one as as anticipated as this one it's nerve-wracking for the promoter it's like you know did this thing fit everyone perfectly and you know 30 percent of the people is going to need their money back now because it doesn't work for them well that not only did they not get that they got they sold four entries the evening that they announced their new plan and date which is a really good thing. It obviously worked well for more people, which is wonderful. And it's got them down to only 46 entries being left uh, for this guaranteed million. And that, uh, wow. that'll get them, their, that'll get them their 450 car max. So only 46 spots left, you know, as we've talked for a few months now about this, when you start getting down into those numbers, a few phone calls here and there, and those entries are eaten up. So, you know, people are, are planning to get in, uh, now I think is the time to uh, to get that get your spot secured because 46 entries not very many and they will move in a hurry. Oh, specifically when we get back to racing on a relatively widespread level, like at that point, this sells out. As soon as there's no hesitation, there's no like this is going to happen, which I it feels yeah. to me like October's far enough, but who knows? Everything is so fluid now. When that becomes more apparent, these 46 entries are gone. Yeah, well said. I, I definitely believe that's going to going to uh, increase interest and uh, help them move those 46 entries quickly. So, um, you know, and there's going to be 16 car gamblers races throughout the country for entries to this. So not only are if you're you know thinking you wait to the last minute, you're not only battling the people that are going to go ahead and call and get their entries. These things are going to be getting won all over the country. Um, by, by people that are putting these on at their local track. And if your local track wants to do that for, for your group or for racers in your area, you know, all they got to do is get a hold of Britt Cummings and uh, he shows them what the, the parameters are and how to get it set up. And the 16 cars filling these gamblers races, when we get back to racing and folks with a shot for an entry to the, the Great American Guaranteed Million, um, I think those 16 car shootouts are going to fill up again all over the country. So those 46 entries are going to move in a hurry, especially as you said, Luke, when we get things rolling again. All right, let's zoom back out just for a, a few minutes here, because as I said earlier, the next month or three months, six, whatever is going to be every bit as fascinating. If you can kind of remove yourself from the emotions of this as the last, what, little over a month now have been, um, I don't know where you stand and I don't even know if you care to, to speculate because obviously that's all that is at this point. And we run the risk here in sharing opinions that could be completely invalidated tomorrow. And I'll just go ahead and, and say that if you listen to this a month from now, 
I'm going to sound like a complete idiot. And it would probably change <laughs> if I don't now, right? And would probably, there will be things that come to light that, that may completely change my opinion on this. As of right now, April 27, 2020, I would say that I am far more optimistic about grassroots level racing um, probably than I was a month ago and certainly far more optimistic about that style racing like your local Saturday night bracket program than I am progressively as the the stakes and the stages increase for 2020. Um, I actually feel like there is an opportunity here for the re-emergence of local bracket racing with us some caveats, like it's going to be different. The reason I say that is I don't know how progressively the, the economy reopens, but it seems relatively apparent that in most parts of the country, as we are able to race, either fields will be limited and or uh, the participation of spectators will be limited and distanced. And for those tracks that are able to pack in the stands, so to speak, they're going to have to sell a percentage of their available tickets, right? Which is going to be a huge problem at a place like Norwalk or any place that, that depends on spectator booked in shows. Well, newsflash for everyone listening, nobody gives a damn about watching a bracket race to begin with. Which they is do a, it at I-57. Okay, true. I'm sorry. Which is, a, by and large, like not a great thing for our sport. Right now, it's actually a good thing because what it means is that the business model, the revenue model around bracket racing is not dependent on spectators, which is something that would be difficult to get right now. So I do think that where racetracks paid the bills through booked in shows, through, um, you know, test and tunes, I think could still be largely um, profitable, but like the grudge race scene, that's again, more people watching than racing, not going to work right now. So I think, the tracks would take the opportunity to look back on this and say, okay, we've got to figure out a way to make our bracket program profitable. It's got to carry the racetrack to get us through this, to get us into whatever, whether it's three months or a year or whatever, to get back to some sense of normalcy. So I think the opportunity is going to be there for bracket racing, but I do think it's going to look different. Like I feel like if you want your local track to survive, I don't know that this would happen, but it's, it's complete conjecture. Conjecture, Like, I wouldn't, if, if I-57 drag strip opens up and they say, hey, we're going to pay three quarters of the purse and we're going to double the entry, I'm in. Right? Like, fine. Like, I just want a place to race. And I think that that's almost what it will take because these racetracks got to make money and a lot of the revenue streams are going to be completely closed off. It's how difficult is it right now to sell track sponsorship? I mean, how do you even make that phone call? Bracket racing is something that can happen, but they're going to have to figure out a way to make it profitable. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously been a challenge well before the pandemic. Um, you know, we, we've talked about that at length here on the show, but look, my fear is that everyone's going to be looking to hit the long ball early when just good events you don't have to outpay every track you don't have to you know try to make something where you're gonna be at capacity in your pits where you you need you know 200 cars or whatever some of these especially where i'm at these local uh, country drag strips you know 
they, they can only hold so much, which mm-hmm. you, you're very familiar with. Sure. Um, so, you know, I just, I hope everyone's not looking for the long ball right off the bat. Just good, solid races. That's all we need. And I think they will have really good turnouts. Run them well. Introduce, you're going to introduce new people to your facilities. There's no doubt about it. People are going to, going to do a little bit of traveling, come race at the places that they can race. So be prepared, run these events well, do everything you say you'll do that they showed up for. And I think some of these tracks can, can come out on the good end of this, um, you know, relatively speaking. But I think definitely some tracks that handle this the right way and, and do all the right things are, are going to profit for sure. And hopefully introduce themselves to new customers and maybe even new types of events. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody don't have to go out and pay $5,000 on the first time you can go racing. Racers, are, you know, like you said, <laughs> racers are not trying to go for the biggest purse right now. They just want to go down the racetrack and compete and they want it to be worth their time. Somewhere yeah, I mean, in- I don't, I don't think that we're the only racers and you're saying, man, I, I appreciate being able to go racing now more than ever. Right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sure. So I don't, as you expand that, like I say, I, I feel like in that setting, you know, with the, the small town USA tracks and, and for by and large, the local program, I feel like this time of, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? This time of adversity uh, creates opportunity. It may not be opportunity yeah. in, in the same places as, as usual, right? But there are opportunities there. I get a little bit more hazy as not even so much the stakes increase, but the size of the fields increase, right? I I, I think that ultimately we're going to get back to um, you know, the, the big dollar bracket races that need three to 500 cars to work. Um, but I don't know how quickly that's going to be possible. I don't know how long uh, field sizes are going to be limited. And even like the NHRA divisional tour, like I don't know how quickly we can get back to that just because typically at a division race, there's four to maybe 600 race cars and everybody's bringing a spectator with them. Like that's just a lot of people in one place, right? So if the mandate is, hey, you know, a hundred people can gather and then it 500 people that can gather like at what point did, are those races even possible you know by the by the current legislation um and then the other end of the spectrum to me like i'm pretty bullish really bullish on the the local the grassroots level as it gets bigger my optimism wanes a lot and i'm gonna share a very unpopular opinion and i'll say right now i hope i'm wrong um, and I don't, this is complete opinion. Like I do not have any insight. This is not a report, n- nothing. Personally, I would be surprised if there was a traditional NHRA national event in 2020. While you catch your breath, like, let me explain my reasoning. I follow professional sports pretty closely like a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, right? And everything that I hear, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, whatever plans they have to uh, reintroduce their sport, to start back up, uh, across the board are with a, not, a close to spectator model, 
right? It's just, just the event for TV purposes. Well, I don't know how closely you follow the NHRA national event. Like their revenue model is almost exclusively built on in-person spectators, right? They do have a TV contract. NHRA, is my understanding, pays to be on Fox, not the other way around. Whereas the NFL or the NBA, it's probably 90% of their revenue comes from the TV market with the 10% being at, at, you know, at event, at venue sales. NHRA is flipped completely. So if there's no spectators, there is no avenue that this happens. Now you could argue, well, it's outside, it's gonna be warm, you could do this. Okay, possibly, but you're going to have to deal with varying state mandates that we've already discussed. So what may work, what you may be able to do in Florida, you may not be able to do in Illinois or you know, on across the board, right? And like as of this recording, the plan still tentatively is to start with the Gator Nationals the first week of June. Well, Jed, I don't know if you've followed this this thing with any any to any degree, you know that probably the the most aggressive state as far as reopening America right now is the state of Georgia, right? Like they're all caution to the wind, like we're rolling. This is right. Well, NHRA just announced that they cannot hold a division race at Atlanta May 14th through the 16th in Georgia for a division race that's going to have like 350 cars and maybe one spectator per car. And you're telling me that three weeks later, you're going to have a national event with 10,000 people in, in Florida? I can't see it happening. Again, like hope I'm wrong. I can't see it happening. And then you take that a little bit further, forget, you know, the, the, the states that have, have mandated things beyond, you know, where that event currently falls on the calendar. Let's just say, I don't even know how many events are on the schedule the rest of the way. I think it was 18, 20, something like that. Let's say that you physically can't for whatever reason, or this thing gets pushed back to where like, I, I cannot imagine NHRA hosting an event with spectators before any of the major sports do, right? Like, that would shock me if they're the first. Like, if there's, a, if there's an NHRA national event before there's a PGA golf tournament with spectators, I would be shocked. And even if things were to open up and they get the green light and say, okay, well, there's only these, let's say it's five venues and five dates that work. We could have a five-race national event season. And you've got the complete green light, which I don't know if that's realistic or not, right? From, from insurance to um, government to everything else. You complete green light to have whatever. Let's just call it five national events. At what point, if you're NHRA, and I don't know the, the financial standing, like whatever, right? No idea, complete speculation. But at what point in a, in a revenue model that is basically completely driven by spectator involvement at the event. At what point do you get cold feet about that and say, you know, I think that our market by and large is bullish and says, hey, when things reopen, we're gonna be back out there. But at what point do you, as, as a promoter, get cold feet and say, you know, what if 25% of our normal spectators aren't sure it's a great idea to be shoulder to shoulder with 10,000 other people? 
right now. Like there is going to be an economic hangover to this. There's going to be a social hangover to this. It's going to be another fascinating realm of this. So even if like, if I'm an HRA, if I had the green light and they say, Hey, you can go to these five events. Like, I don't know that I just jump on that because those things got to make money, right? I, it's, it's going to be bizarre. And then you let's, if we went down that road, Jed, and let's assume that, that, my opinion proves true, right? That there's no national events this year. I don't know. Hey, I don't know that the NHRA can weather that. Like, I don't, there's not a whole lot of businesses that if you just shut off revenue for a year that survive, right? I mean, I, I don't want to speculate there, but that's, I wouldn't think that that's an easy thing to weather. Take that a step further. The pro teams, I mean, you've had several of them come out publicly and say, if we don't race this year, like, we got to close shop. Like, I don't know. I think that sportsman racing in general will be pretty resilient through this unless something unforeseen happens. I don't know what the future holds for the NHRA pro ranks. Yeah, Luke. I mean, all that definitely legitimate concerns. You know, I think the, the national event scene is definitely, I wouldn't call it on life support, but it's definitely hanging out there in the balance right now. Um, NHRA's getting to a point where they probably are going to have to to call it one way or another and the fact that they're canceling these events through May probably isn't the best sign and you know the June events if they if they can go off as scheduled uh, obviously that should lead to really good things but I think June is a month of uh, definitely of um, telltale on how the rest of the season's going to go. So we'll see how that goes. You know, you think about how many people this affects job wise, you know, the, these people that this is their life. And, you know, we, we do it on the weekends and we think racing, you know, it sucks that we can't race. These people make their living that way. Uh, while some people make their living doing what we do as well. But um, that is a, uh, that's going to be devastating if, if it can't go on, if, if we can't pick up in maybe middle of May to early June and, and get back to racing all the people that are so heavily invested in this sport from a career standpoint, the, uh, you know, this, this is going to have a major impact on them. Yeah, no, without question. It's, it's scary stuff. And I'll just, I'll reiterate my qualifying statement and saying that, uh, I obviously don't have any insight here. This is complete opinion. And I hope that I'm wrong. I just, I have a hard time seeing, visualizing a path for, for an HRA national event competition. Again, hope I'm wrong. The two, I think it's worth noting a couple of rumors that are spreading that I'm sure most of our listeners have, have heard. And it's funny because just like seemingly every bit of quote unquote news information that we get, they seem contradictory to one another, you know, the rumors. Uh, I have heard the rumor that a season kickoff start date for NHRA of the U.S. Nationals has been discussed, you know, is, is on the table as a, as a potential option. And let's be frank, everything is still probably a potential option at this mm -hmm. point. Um, I've also heard that um, if they are not able to get at least one of the June events in national events that they would pull the plug on the season, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't 
I don't know what the reasoning behind that would be, but I have heard that rumor. Um, I've also heard, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify it as a rumor at this point, I heard this as if it was fact, but I did a very slight amount of research and I could not verify this, but I had heard the rumor that uh, LA County in California has basically issued a no, I don't know if it's no sporting event or no entertainment venue through, through the end of 2020, including the way it was uh, framed to me, including like youth soccer tournaments. Like there's not gonna be any public gathering over athletic events in may, may perhaps statewide, I don't know, but particularly in LA County, the way again that I had heard this, well, if you're familiar at all with the NHRA finals, that's at LA County Fairgrounds. So we would assume that that's off the table. It's not to say that there couldn't be a world finals, but my understanding is it couldn't be in Pomona. So, just again, all rumor, all conjecture at this point, and much of it conflicting. But that's that's the little bit that we've been hearing for whatever it's worth. Yeah, we can definitely hear better news than that. Um, you know, some of these tracks that are opening up that I'm seeing or that are scheduled to open up. What's odd to me is that they're like um, I've seen these mandates where you can only be at 35% capacity. Uh, what is the capacity of a, hmm. of a racetrack? I don't, I mean, yeah. you know, how many people will 40 acres hold? Um, so I, I don't know if I've ever seen one that had more than 35% capacity at it. So Good point. Um, some of these, some of these mandates that we're seeing are, are definitely uh, difficult to understand. Um, so hopefully there's a lot more clarity very soon. And you, know, you would think the NHRA is, very well connected, but they have to deal with a lot of, lot of state, a lot of different state governments. So I can only imagine the challenge they have on their hands right now. Jed, let's, uh, I, I, we got to lighten the mood a little bit. We do have a little bit of fun on tap. Uh, let's pay a couple bills first, run a couple ads and, uh, and then we'll come back for the, the more lighthearted, uh, entertaining portion of today's show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. All right, Luke, as you mentioned, we do like to have fun here on the show. And here lately, without actual racing to talk about, we, we're we seem to get um, uh, caught up in talking about the, the great people and the legends in our sport, which we're about to do uh, on a different, different scale that we've done prior. But unfortunately, uh, our first two mentions are definitely legends in our sport and great people that, that we had a lot of fun with and remember very well. But 
Uh, there were a couple of passings this week of, of some awesome, awesome guys in our sport. And unfortunately, we, we report those things as well here on the podcast. Um, Mike Smith, which is a, a legendary Alabama bracket racer. I've uh, been watching Mike in the pits with no shirt on um, since I was a kid. Uh, Mike um, Mike passed away a couple of days ago, unfortunately, uh, a motorcycle accident. And um, there was some speculation. And, and this is coming from his son, Timmy. Those of you that, that know Mike as Timmy's dad, um, speculation that it was a possible uh, medical event prior to the, the wreck on the motorcycle because uh, indications were that, that the, the accident itself did not uh, cause the fatality. So um, nonetheless, Mike was a, a guy that I've watched here in our state for a long time, and he was very well known uh, throughout the, the southeast and the country for, for his uh, racing accomplishments. So Definitely prayers and thoughts going out to the, the Smith family and, and all of his friends as well. Just a, a guy that people loved. And uh, speaking of guys people loved, Luke, um, Randy Helton uh, of, of Ultimate 64 fame, which Randy was way much more than the Ultimate 64 that, that he does with Kelly Estes. Um, he, was, uh, he was a guy that just – you had to love him. I mean, Randy was – he was so lovable, just a fun guy. Let you know what he was thinking, a firecracker, direct, but doggone, this guy did what he said he would do anytime and every time. And you could count on Randy Helton. And uh, unfortunately, he lost a, a, a lengthy battle uh, this week and, and uh, he has left us as well. So a couple of legends in the sport that we didn't want to have to talk about this way, but certainly uh, guys that will be missed not only uh, in our follow up on each of them uh, Mike Smith it's been a year or two ago now that we had a discussion like okay if there was a sportsman drag racing hall of fame where should it be located who should be in it uh, Mike Smith the first ballot hall of famer right yeah. goes back to the the inception of bracket racing has had success on every level um, in multiple different cars um, you know raised a, a racing family and seemingly took the bulk of the Southeast at some point or another under his wing along the way, like yeah. really impactful man in the, in the history of our sport. And to your point, uh, I will, anytime that I think of Mike Smith, I will see shirtless cigar hanging out of the mouth, <laughs> just man of few words, but you, if you ever got the opportunity to know him, you know that he had a big heart and helped everybody at the racetrack. Uh, and uh, and then Randy Helton is I met I first met Randy um, back when he was running IHRA top dragster in in my uh, kind of foray into early foray into IHRA like we're talking late nineties early two thousands and uh, had a had a had a relationship with him and to your point I think uh, outside of <clears throat> that region he really made his name uh, partnering with Kelly Estes for the Ultimate sixty four and. If you've ever been to the Ultimate 64, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a an event that was unique unto, unto itself, simply because, like, Randy Folk's got a little bit of this in him, but the millions to 
big a race, there's just too much tension for it to be the party that the Ultimate 64 was. Literally, <laughs> you went to the party at the Ultimate 64, and oh, by the way, there's a race. Right? That, it was much more about the, the fellowship, the community, the gathering. Kelly and Randy both put that at the front, and it was unique in that way. Like You could not go there and not have a good time. And, um, and that was the first real race of its kind like that, you know, where seemingly, even though it was a 50 grander, like for most of us, the racing itself took a backseat until it was time to go. Right. Yeah. And the way that they cultivated that was a whole lot of fun, very unique. And, um, I think more than anything is probably what I'll remember it for. But, um, yeah, obviously their, their, uh, endings came in, in, in different ways, but, uh, doesn't make it any easier on the family. So thoughts and prayers to the Smith family, the Helton family, and all those that were close to him. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, golf and, and poker um, kind of seemed like it became popular to, to do around the races because of the Ultimate 64. What, what and concerts. A great idea. Concerts, great ideas. Randy and, and Kelly had for sure. And uh, I'm sure Kelly will continue on with the tradition that, that he, and, uh, he and Randy established. But as you said, I reiterate thoughts and prayers out to all affected, whether you share their name, their blood, or just a, a friendly stories over the years. Uh, those guys will be missed. So, Luke, let's uh, let's talk about some some legends and fun people in our sport in a good way. Let's this have is, a little fun. Yeah. This is a really fun thing that that you guys come up with, and um, we're we're actually going to bring producer Mark in because we're going to discuss. So everybody's, uh, you know, just submer uh, submersed or whatever the word is. Uh, I can't think of the word I want to use right now, but with the last chance. Yes. I mean, last La dance. Last dance. Last, last dance. dance, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls story. And I'm sure you're watching that. It is unbelievable. I am freaking loving it. It's phenomenal. It is excellent. You know, that behind the scenes look where you, you quit being political. And, and if you're watching the, the uncensored version, it is like, wow. And these guys, I love it, and they're still I mean, today. Jordan himself, his honesty is what makes the thing. Like he's, yeah. it just seems unfiltered. It's awesome. Yeah, it is unfiltered. And it is awesome. So it got you to thinking. So if we were to do this, if we were to have the Last Dance documentary style on sportsman drag racers, who would be in your top five? Who would you want to hear the stories from? Uncensored at that. And producer Mark put a list together of five. You put a list together of five, and I put a list together of five. So we want to have uh, we want to have Mark come on in here and and talk about his. But you're gonna you're gonna count us down here on these. Producer Mark, what's up? The man behind the show, now the voice on the show. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's throw it to you first. Like you, you, I feel like you're the the. the you're not the new guy, but you're, you're new behind the mic. So we'll count these down. We'll kind of go through them. Five, four, three, two, one. Um, who is the, the, the racer that you would maybe fifth most just be intrigued to see a Last Dance style documentary on? It could be past, present. The floor is yours. Um, well, working. I, my list is not in any particular order. So let me try to figure this out real quick. I guess. The fifth most out of my list, I think, would be Dan Fletcher. Um, Dan Fletcher's episode on this on this podcast, I think it was episode 34, shameless plug, one of my favorites. <laughs> um, 
well, that alone, just that episode alone, I think spurred that interest in me, in him. I would love to know. I would love to see a documentary that details his whole history since 1994, when that whole, when his whole deal started. I think that would be really fascinating. Specifically, if we could have a camera crew following Fletcher around for a year, maybe, you know, maybe not today, maybe years back. But if that footage came available, like I just want to, I want the public to see if he is really like in his own private personal moments, if he is as negative as he typically comes across, right? Because <laughs> we all look at him like, man, that dude's got it made. And you talk to Fletch and he's like, this fucking sucks, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fascinating. It would. Uh, yeah, I think it would be great. Jed, where are you at for number five? I think it's just because he's so fresh on my mind, but this was a fascinating individual. Uh, he is, he's leftist, but this guy, if you could just, if you got to talk to him much at all, he was so fascinating, so interesting, and he could literally talk to you about anything, but his racing endeavors were, were long and, and colorful. And that's Thomas Dunford. Uh, Thomas not only raced himself, but he always surrounded himself with, with some great racers and uh, had, uh, you know, financial backing for them in the, the biggest of events. You know, I'd like, to, I'd like to sit and talk to Thomas about his great wins, about his bad weekends and his big tabs. And I know about one of them, it was freaking big. Um, just would like to sit down and talk racing with Thomas Dunford. Very interesting guy. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'll uh, I'll start off contemporary, and I think by and large after this, I'll, I'll go back in time, um, because like most, like I'm just kind of fascinated with the the stories that I've heard of yesteryear, right? But the one that I'll say from right now, I would love to see the Johnny Ezel documentary, just because I think he's a fascinating guy. Like he's so polarizing. Without, like, I don't think it's necessarily his intention to be polarizing. Like, Johnny is yeah. soft-spoken. I get the impression that he doesn't really care what anybody else says about him. And yet it seems like everybody has something to say about him, right? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that he necessarily um, shies away from that. Like, I think he realizes people are talking about him and he thinks it's kind of funny, right? But I don't think that he necessarily does anything to spur it on. And if you ever have the opportunity to sit down with Johnny, you realize that he's very intelligent. He's funny as hell. And like, if you just get that behind the scenes look, and I don't know much about his backstory. Like I know he came from a racing family, but how the hell did Johnny Zell become Johnny Zell and get this freaking good at this, right? With the attitude that he's got, because that's very unique. I just think it would be cool. I, I, I would sign me up. I would watch that. Yeah, I would love to see it. I guess we'll, we'll go snake style. I'll, I'll lead off the number fours. All right. So number four is kind of an obvious one because it seems like everyone that we have had on in the last, I don't know, three, four months, whether it's Danny Bastianelli, Jake Coughlin Jr., Stiggs, Steve Cisco, and, and I'm going over into the, the story time segment as well that we've been airing here free of ads, just as something else to, to kind of flood the, the timeline and, and give everybody a, a chance to, to have some fun and think about racing in recent years. Every one of those guys, seemingly everyone I interviewed, has a Jim Harrington story. I don't think, like, <laughs> Harry isn't one, the, the, the shoe, I don't, 
I don't really know much about his personal history. Like, I don't know that he necessarily had to overcome huge hurdles and, and obstacles in his life. Like, I just, I'm not even signing up for that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to know the Harrington story. I just want to hear the Harrington story. Like sign me up because it seems like every time that dude was involved, it's an epic, hilarious, entertaining story. And I just want I'm here for him. So give me give me I, I would sign up. What's the Jordan deal? Ten hours? Give me ten hours of Harry. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that would be great, Luke. <laughs> I watched some of Cisco uh, on the story time and the when he got to talking about Harry and, and borrowing the red rockets. <laughs> The Red Rockets motorhome. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's so hairy and Red Rocket. So, yeah, I would definitely be in to watch 10 hours of that. I said they installed a chandelier in a bedroom, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> that's what he said. That was awesome. That was a great response to what actually happened. All right, Jed, what's your number four? My number four is a guy that, I mean, he's loved, he's hated. He's not seemingly anything in between. It's either seemingly one or the other. And I think no matter where you fall on that side, you watch it just because you just got to know what, what has happened in his life and his career. And uh, this guy's danced with the stars, man. And he's, he's raced for 200 bucks on Saturday nights, Kenny Underwood. I mean, this guy would have so many wonderful stories and adventures to tell from again hanging with the, the people that's on the highest level in our sport and you know running a Thursday night shootout at his local track for a couple hundred bucks so I think uh, I think uh, Skinny Kenny would be awesome to watch a documentary on. There's a little bit of like correlating this back to Last Dance like there's a little bit of the Dennis Rodman feel to Kenny right <laughs> it's it's not a fair correlation because Kenny is way better at racing than Dennis Rodman was at basketball. Dennis Rodman's really good at basketball. Yeah. So that's not fair. And I don't think, like, Kenny, Kenny's working at Jags. Like, I don't think Ken, Kenny's going to Jag and say, hey, man, I just got to get away. I'm taking two days in Vegas, right? <laughs> I don't really see that, but the, the mystique and the, the kind of eclectic nature, like, there, there are some parallels there that I think would be really intriguing. And similar to what I said about, about Johnny, you had said, you know, like, kind of a polarizing figure. He's either loved or hated. I don't know how you hate Kenny Underwood, but I know there is some of that. Yep. And, and similar to Johnny, like if you ever get to really sit down with Kenny, like that dude's way, way smarter than anybody. Oh, he's, yeah. he's brilliant. And it would just be interesting to get his unfiltered take on, you know, his life, his career, whatever. Right. Yeah. Mark back to you. Uh, okay. So my number four and, uh, now, I have the disadvantage compared to you guys. I don't personally know as many people in the sport as you guys do. So, I just, from an outsider's perspective here, would love to know more about Aaron Vale. I've, I, yeah, I watch all these live races all over the country. He seems like he's everywhere <laughs> in slow door cars. I mean, like 680s or whatever. Um, it just, he looks like a polarizing guy online. The stuff I've seen just seems like an entertaining dude would love to know more about him <laughs> yes no, no doubt aaron is one of the most interesting people in uh, in bracket racing for sure the guys uh he's you know he's doing it kind of a different way big big wheelie 680 690 door cars pontiacs of course 
And when the race is over, I mean, this guy's where you want to be. You want to be wherever he is because it's where the best time is being had at the racetrack. And his stories about things that happen off the racetrack will be just as interesting as what happened on. Yeah, I'll, I'll debunk that a little bit. Not because Aaron is not fascinating and wildly entertaining, right? We've had him on the podcast. I just say, like, if you talk to Aaron for 10 minutes, you know Aaron Vale. Like, there is, there's nothing's disguised, <laughs> nothing's held back. You know exactly where you stand. Like, we don't, I don't think we need a 10-hour documentary. Like, 15 minutes, you're like, all right, that, like, that's that dude. There he is. Right? It's just, it's, it's all out there. Yeah, probably so. Hey, there, might, there may be a place for quick watches on Netflix, you know. <laughs> you jump on 15, 20 minutes, you're out, you know. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, this is more fun than I thought. Right. <laughs> Mark, we'll stay with you, number three. All right, number three. Now, obviously, okay, so where I'm going to go with this one may come across, I don't know, because he's kind of my boss here, I guess, co-boss. Um, but my friends, my, my personal back home here, friends know that I've always kind of had a fascination in our own Luke Bugacki would love to, I know probably most of the, at least the public stuff. Um, but it still would be, I think it would still make for a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool documentary to go back to the beginning of Luke and, and hear everything up to now. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Luke has amazing stories. Um, he has been very successful in our sport. So, you know, hence, uh, Michael Jordan style, you, you'd want to, you'd want to watch a documentary on a guy that's achieved a lot in the sport. And what you want to see is like Michael Jordan, where he got cut in the, the ninth, 10th grade, whatever it was, you want to see where Luke really questioned, should I even be doing this? And to the, to the point he's at today, but I would have one rule if, if I was involved in the Luke Bogacki documentary, and it would be all a straight up honest um, take or honest uh, description of the night at Pickwick where Stone Cold run over all of their time and equipment. Um, <laughs> that I, night could be its own documentary. <laughs> you, you, would have, you would have to tell your involvement in that incident <laughs> and be straightforward and tell the whole deal it would be wonderful okay yeah that, that'd be good <laughs> uh, overall you, you actually brought up a good point because i was gonna say man that's a boring documentary um <laughs> it'd be awesome yeah like i i think we i think we could wrap that up pretty quickly but that uh no the, the pickwick one that definitely that definitely has an opportunity <laughs> there's there's i've been to pickwick twice and both of them are unbelievable stories yeah. yeah you and you told one of them you know where they said you you know no sandbagging this much or you know you just said tell me what you want me to die man I'm, yes, I'm out, yes. But. yeah the, the the specific night that you're talking about i, I actually i was racing a, a, a geo prism that had three <laughs> cylinders and, and a co-rider that had come to find out wasn't allowed but we didn't realize that until the finals <laughs> yeah. well into the program definitely entertaining <laughs> uh, uh, it would be a great documentary like you you would be and you've gotten so good at telling your stories and i think the podcast has, has helped that too so i think you'd be very interesting to watch i'd be scared to death like a, I don't think it would be that intriguing because part of what drives this is like the 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 hate 
I don't hate anybody. There might be a lot of people that hate me. Maybe you get enough of the outsider view of the documentary. They're like, yeah, that guy, geez, you know, but I just, I kind of love everybody. Well, I would say if, if someone thought they hated you, this is one of those things that brings them back. The, a documentary on your life <laughs> where they see like this guy raised some real junk, you know, he, he was just like us. <laughs> And now, now look at him. I think I can like this guy again. So I think a documentary would cure that if somebody out there don't like you. Oh, if, if you're listening, thinking that I'm the, the silver spoon, like I have, whoever you are, wherever you're listening, I have, dro- I have drove worse stuff than you're driving. <laughs> Promise. Whoever you are. <laughs> whoever you are. <laughs> we don't care who you are. Am I next? Uh, no, I guess I am, right? Number three. Okay. Uh, I don't know how snake drafts work. <laughs> It doesn't matter. The, <laughs> I'll go, and and I I think this would be fascinating on so many different levels. As a as a racer, this dude was off the charts, like ahead of his time, won more than anyone seemingly in in, in that moment. Has a very unique history and successful one as a promoter. Has a unique history in business and and different business ventures both successful and failed like i just would love to get the lowdown from those involved on randy folk like i i think that would be fascinating highly entertaining and fascinating at the same time so randy folk's my number three yeah couldn't agree more obviously i worked for randy at the the mickey thompson million and um i've gotten to know him pretty well and uh this guy is fascinating um, you know, he, he's got so many awesome stories and, uh, definitely just a story about how he bought the million dollar race from George Howard and then the whole indie monthly thing. I mean, that, was that, that the alone, first year or two, right? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I think it was his second year. Welcome to the million. <laughs> that whole story alone is, is a good, you know, probably 45 minutes to an hour that in itself would be an awesome documentary yeah yeah you're the million went to muncie yeah definitely a a great guy for us to to watch a documentary on all right jed you get two of them here three and two all right my number three is um someone that not only has done it at a super high level for a long time but he's had the same equipment now there's been some additions and subtractions but the core of his racing operation has been the same for i don't even know i I mean probably almost as long as i've been alive but definitely since probably the early 80s and that's john laboose senior um caboose this guy is a wheeler dealer i mean okay so i promote races and Early in my race promotion, uh, he was very interested in in our events. And I can tell you when the phone rings and he's on the other end and (laughs) you're trying to, there's there's a plan in his head how something should work. I can tell it's worked a lot over the years and he finds ways to uh, create interest in your events and help himself get in them and he is uh he has definitely achieved a lot in our sport but probably his off the track story would be as good or better than whatever he's done on the track cuz he this guy's something else now John LeBeau senior would be there's no way I could not watch it 
No oh, way. sign me up. I'm I'm in. And what's interesting about about Big John is, I think you can make the argument right there with what Chip Horton, Steve Taylor. Like I don't know that anybody's won more races than John LaBeouf Senior. Right. I mean, there was a a time period for over a decade, I think, where he's racing literally two, three cars, three, four nights a week at a time when he just dominated, right? Yeah. And then continued that for, what, two, three decades after that, winning as regularly as anyone, right? And uh, also a guy that, at least to my knowledge, for decades supported himself and his family either by racing or around racing. Like, I don't think that John's ever had a quote-unquote real job, to my knowledge, and that was yeah, unheard of in the 80s, and very few people done it since, right? Much less yeah. for basically 40 years. I do I do have a story about him, which is rare because most of these people I've never dealt with in real life. <laughs> At the WFC, I had a number two-cylinder uh, header um, break off the flange right at the head. And uh, so we put out a, well, I guess it was more of a, it was a parts call slash service call. And um, someone said, get your header to Johnny's trailer. He'll hook you up. I was like, okay, well, cool. He has a welder. Great. I get there and he has an acetylene torch and a metal coat hanger. And now, you know, that is not, I'm not opposed to that type of fix at all, but it is not what I was expecting to come up to <laughs> in the pits at Bristol that year was a metal coat hanger and an acetylene torch. And now I'll tell you what, I think that set of headers is still hanging on the wall and I'm pretty sure it's still welded from that day. So, <laughs> it wasn't his first time to do that, Mark. No, no, it was not the first time he ever welded a set of headers with a coat hanger. Uh, when we talked earlier, uh, may rest in peace about Mike Smith. Uh, I've watched him for 30 plus years, no shirt on in the pits. There's nobody ever pulled off shirtless like John LaBeouf Sr. Um, that guy, <laughs> somebody told me one time, he's the only guy that they know could pull his shirt off and warm up because of the amount of hair on his back. <laughs> That's got, I, that, I, we just titled the documentary, Shirtless. <laughs> Shirtless John. He certainly didn't have a shirt on when he welded that header either. <laughs> didn't even bother wearing one while he was welding. So my number two is a guy that just, he don't like to talk about himself a lot. So the documentary could be challenging, but if you can ever just get him started talking about his stories, they are unbelievable and plentiful. And another guy that's accomplished a lot in our sport, and that's Bob Mullaney. Of course, I got to pick, you know, a footbreaker in there somewhere. And Bucks. Bob, Bob, yeah, Bucks, uh, Big Bucks, Bob Mullaney is, uh, is a guy that I don't, there's no way anybody could not like him. So it would just be a complete love fest to sit and watch a documentary on him. You just find yourself loving him more and more every, uh, every episode. Yeah, I, I, I signed me up. I'd, I'd, I'd watch however many hours you want me to watch about Mulaney stories. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, a, he's an interesting dude. <clears throat> All right, for number two, I went with a, uh, a, a sibling duo. One that uh, made this, this name may be lost on the, on the racer of today, but if you 
if you've been around this for a long time, this this name will, will ring true, and you probably understand like why I want to know more. The Sologi brothers, Andy and Wayne, right? <laughs> uh, back in the in the B and M series days, these guys were at the forefront, and uh, Troy and Gary drove for them for a while. Um, they always like salt of the earth dudes, like always the funnest guys to hang out with. Would take the shirt off their back for you, like were great to me, you know, coming up and racing. Um, but had a very unique way of doing things, right? I'll never forget, and I can, I can tell this story. Like I don't think Andy Sloji is going to get pissed off about it. If he does, have him call me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I go to the Millennium Million at Rockingham. I am 17, 18 years old. First time that I've really been away from home for a race specifically of that magnitude, right? So it's the day before the Million, and it's 20 grand or whatever it was, and we're down. 20-ish cars like I'm getting fired up right I, I I'm fired up to be there I'm really getting excited that I'm down to 20 cars and I'm taking this as serious as you can take a drag race right so I pull into the lanes <clears throat> now alongside me like I say I'm in the left lane I know I'm in the left lane because I remember this like it was yesterday alongside me I don't know this dude it's this black Mike Boss dragster suspended or a solid car comes bouncing up in the lanes beside me and uh the driver hops out, it's Andy Sloji, I know now, I didn't know then, sits on the cage and takes out a cigarette, lights it up. And I'm sitting on the, the ground beside my car. And like any 17 year old, right? About two minutes later, I get a whiff and I'm, whoa, ears perk up. Like, I know that smell. What in the heck? And I turn around and I've obviously I've got my 17 year old beady eyes like, oh, my God. Right. And I look right at Andy Sloji and he in the middle of a drag just looks at me and goes, been a long day, bro. <laughs> I'm down to 20 cars and a 20 grander. Like I could not be more fired up. And this dude, what in the world is going? This is the guy driving this car, right? Oh that goodness. was Andy, right? And Andy and his brother Wayne, and they got into some uh, some legal trouble. I don't even know. I, I, I know one of them was in jail. I don't know if still is. Like, they're out of racing. I would just like to know more. And being around those guys, like, it was always fun. It was always entertaining. Like, I, I, I just, I, I would sign me up. Documentary, I'm in. I agree. And it, it would, those guys were very fascinating. I remember them well. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't associate with foot brake racers uh, back in the day. But uh, if you if you happen to get to the winter circle a time or two, they they knew who you were and, and, and would say hello. But um, the stories were endless. I mean, the, you know, rental car wrecks and just so much. It was unbelievable. So not only would I love to see a documentary on them, and we've talked about this, Luke, if we ever do a Where Are They Now? Yes. Um, the Sologi brothers would be right there near the top of the list. That would be awesome. Absolutely. All right. Uh, two and one from producer Mark. Okay. Um, my number two is Danny Bastianelli. Now I also don't know him personally. I've spoken with him a couple of times through messenger and stuff like that to get him on the podcast. Um, I just get this impression from him that he knows a thing or two cause he's seen a thing or two. <laughs> Right. That's fair. I think I that's mean, fair. And Bastinelli would be like the one I can't think of many other people. They usually have a documentary and it's there's a little bit of in this case Danny and then a lot of, you know, outside storytellers. I think you just put the camera on Danny for an hour and just let him tell the stories. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm in. 
doubt about it. That guy's he's and he's still. I mean, very interesting. The stories that he has from today's racing is very interesting. So I'm not sure you would even get close to to being able to have Danny Bastianelli wrap it all up in a in a ten hour um, documentary. This this thing could last weeks. It just boggles my mind. Some of his stories um, are from all over the country in times when people didn't really travel like that. You know what I mean? Um, now people are traveling all over the country because of tow vehicles are better and whatnot. But this guy was all over the country in a time when it just didn't, it didn't seem like people were doing that, you know, Midwest somewhere at a race. It just, I just would love to hear more. I just would love to hear more stories. Yep. I agree. Okay. So I guess that wraps me around back to number one. Um, now, now this is a local guy. And I think a lot of our listeners probably have heard of him, if for no other reason, because of one of the products that he markets in the racing industry. But uh, Bob Jones of Jones Trans Pumps um, is an incredible, I know him personally. He's the one on the list that I do know personally. And uh, what a guy to have an incredible documentary about. Um, I just think there's so much there. like. I think 10 hours would maybe get it, you know, it's just a, he has a very, very deep history in our sport. He has a deep history in motorsports in general. He has a deep history in um, motorsport products that he sells. Um, the guy's just done so much different stuff. He was a truck tractor puller. I mean, you name it. Like he's done, he's done it. Yeah. I don't, I'm sorry, Luke. I don't know Bob personally. Uh, I do think his, his trans pumps, uh, one of the coolest ideas I've ever seen. So obviously a very uh, innovative thinker and a guy that's obviously, as you mentioned, um, done several different types of, of racing and, and motorsports adventures. So um, that's really the kind of guy that I'd love to see because uh, all these other guys on the list, I think that I, I think I know them and I think I'm, I think I know the stories they're going to tell. I'd have no idea where Bob's going to go. So I would, I would definitely be fascinated with that and it would keep me on the edge of my seat. I'd like to hear more from him as well. Well, Jed, if it makes you feel any better, if you knew Bob really well, you would have no idea where the conversation would go next. Uh, I've just been around him a little bit through, through Jason Lynch and to Mark's point. Um, like he's one of those guys that if, if you ever have the opportunity to sit and listen to him for a half hour, for an hour, my first tendency was to walk away going, there is no way that one dude has been through all of the stuff that he just told me in the first person. Right. And then you talk to people around him. They're like, no, that's all true. Like he did all of that. You're like, whoa. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't even remember all, any of the details of it, but some of the things that that, that man has done in business and life. Yeah. That would be a riveting, however long you wanted to make the documentary. That's a good one. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, my number one, I think, is a relatively obvious one for for our niche of, of motorsports. It's Edmund and Scotty Richardson. Like, I just, for so many different reasons, right? Uh, arguably, I guess you put Peter and Sal up there as well, but arguably the, the most dominant, you know, family, right? brother, siblings uh, in racing history. And went through that phase of, shoot a decade plus where they were literally untouchable, right? Just absolutely unbeatable ahead of their time in so many different ways, not on the track, um, 
sponsorship, like all of that is just as it pertains to racing. And then you take it a step further to the personal level and like, they're two dudes that they're, the, the Edmund and Scotty relationship is fascinating, right? Because yeah. you have seen them be just thicker than thieves brothers and you have seen them be at complete odds right and back and forth uh, on several occasions and then you bring in the family dynamic like they're they basically completely disassociated with their father who is how they got introduced to racing and like it would take a hell of a producer director to bring all of that together and accurately tell their story because it is so multifaceted but it is fascinating like i i would be all in yeah, as far as people that share the same name and, and siblings like that, that's they're obviously the most dominant that we've seen. And as you mentioned, Luke, they were at odds during some of that domination. They traveled together. They stayed in the same hotel together and and genuinely did not like one another at the time <laughs> and, and would even come to like physical altercations and I've seen it come to blows yes and and, and get up and get back in the same truck and drive away <laughs> uh, while still winning the races of course yeah and running each other in the final yeah that would easily be one of the most fascinating documentaries ever uh, again because i think i know their story pretty well but i would learn so much more than i know already and no it'd doubt be, it'd be super cool uh, where are you going number one jed well this is a guy that i just love to sit and talk to right now and if you if you listen to some of his stories, they're not only great stories, but he tells them so darn well. And and it's a guy that, for some reason, I'm somewhat fascinated with people that race the same equipment for literally decades at a time. He's the guy that does that, and that's Tricky Ricky Jones. He he doesn't so much anymore. I mean, I think Ricky's over sixty now, so probably don't have the desire to travel and do some of the things he's done. There was a time when he would go anytime, anywhere and go hard and win and race hard and, um, party hard afterwards. And you know, <laughs> Ricky Jones is a guy that, that coined the phrase for me. Uh, yeah, be careful doing, you know, some of that stuff that gets you the baseball treatment. And I was like, what's the baseball treatment ricky he said that'll get you thrown out at home <laughs> so, I thought, you know how awesome is that just that statement alone it just really sums him up and that some of his stories if if he would tell the story about when him james brown and archer went to the 50 in michigan and and they were supposed to share some of the driving coming back and it didn't happen that way and what he did <laughs> just oh way it's just so good i love ricky jones and i love his stories he, he would be fun to watch gtfo ricky Absolutely. <laughs> gtfo baby oh man so if there is a a, a burgeoning uh, producer out there like, you've you've got the ammunition go with this right make these documentaries i will gladly speak I mean, I've, I don't know everybody here, but most of them, like most of these 15 and more, like I'll share stories about them. I'll tell you what I think. Like you got a little bit for the documentary right there, right? <laughs> like start here. I, I, I'm in. Uh, would, would love to see some of those. We need 30, 30 for 30. Uh, sports from Drag Racing would be awesome. That would be cool. Jed, what's, uh, if you, unless you've got anything else, you ready for shouts and wrap-ups? Yeah, Luke, uh, definitely um, – that does wrap us up. Um, 
we appreciate everybody listening. We know we we don't get to talk much on track racing, much action like you'd like to talk about, but the the subjects are still relevant and uh, and some of this stuff's a lot of fun to talk about as well. But uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. We appreciate our great sponsors that help us bring the show to you. Make sure you support them every opportunity you can. And um, it is time for shouts. You, you got a couple of those to start the show, but I, I'm really excited about what you're bringing right now, Luke. Uh, don't get too excited. It's a really impromptu shout game. I literally, like five minutes ago, oh, I need to shout somebody out. So <laughs> we are going to shout out the one, the only, Bill Bader Jr. Shouts to Dennis Rodman and Kenny Underwood. Shouts to Pickwick Dragway, to Aaron Vale, and to the baseball treatment. Oh, man, yeah. Shouts to the baseball treatment. That's good stuff. And uh, Ricky Ricky did not uh, – he did not um, – um, what's what's the word? Uh, not patent. Uh, I'm, I'm just lost for. That's not his phrase. That's what I'm trying to say. We can claim it as Ricky's. It sounds yeah, good. Yeah, whatever. But it's not his. I mean, he he he'll let you use that. So use the baseball treatment any chance you get. Um, if there's even any chance anybody's still listening, uh, definitely um, look to uh, reach out to us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, we don't get enough action on that page, so y'all. Y'all reach out to us and let us know you're listening. We, we know that you're loving the shows right now. So tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And, uh, you know, give us some ideas, stuff you'd like to, to see or hear on the show going forward. Maybe able to work it in. If you are a, a Twitter kind of person, you can tweet Luke or myself. You can tweet Luke. He's at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. And I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you any shape, form, or fashion just to let us know you're out there and you care about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Again, we'll close it with thoughts and prayers to the Smith and Helton families for their losses this week. A couple of legends have exited uh, stage ride in our sport, but um, definitely hope uh, that, that the folks that they impacted remember the good times and uh, not get dwelling on the bad times. So, uh, Luke, let's stay safe, let's stay healthy, and uh, we'll be back to do this again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.